To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's show, I have on Baker Levitt. So Baker's a friend of Eastman's, and we traveled over to the Eastman's office at the same time, and so I got a chance to meet Baker face-to-face, and um, the guy's one of a kind. guy is uh, so entertaining, you know. He's, he's just fun to be around, whether he's on the podcast or whether we're out to dinner. Uh, the guy's got so many sayings, which I've been repeating since uh, we hung out at the Eastman's office. He had this one that just cracked me up. He has a bunch of them, and you'll hear him come out in the podcast, but... He had this one where he said uh, he was describing somebody. He said, yeah, that guy, that guy would climb a tree to tell you a lie rather than stand on the ground and tell you the truth. <laughs> it's just so funny. I had never heard that. Uh, but he's got a bunch of them. Uh, he's from the South, uh, but he loves Western hunting, loves to hunt elk, which we talk about a bunch, uh, archery hunting elk. And uh, it's just so humble and such a great storyteller. He's just the perfect guest for the podcast. So, uh, so excited to have him on and and uh, release it to you guys so you guys can meet Baker as well. So, we'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. I want to thank Swagger Bipods. So, Swagger builds these bipods that'll mount to your rifle. And you guys have heard me talk about them before, but being accurate with a rifle is all about your rest. And Swagger builds the best ones in the industry. Uh, They have a bunch of different models, including their Hunter series. uh, And then they have their their Stalker Quick Disconnect uh, that's 42 inches. And they also have a Quick Disconnect that's 72 inches. So basically, you mount the plate on your rifle, which I have on mine, and then you carry the sticks, and then you can hook them up whenever you're getting ready for a shot. Uh, The 42 is great. Uh, My daughters have used it a bunch. My dad's used it a bunch. Um, But that 72 would be pretty cool for standing shots. Like, it seems like there's always grass in the way and things when you're trying to shoot. And so, you know, of course, the most accurate is a prone shooting position, then a sitting, then a standing. Uh, and that 72 would allow you to make some good shots standing. So uh, pretty cool deal there. They also have shooting sticks. I mean, everything's spring tension loaded so you can swivel uh, as you're on the tripod to track your target or if that deer elk is moving. And and also you can split the legs apart and, and get different heights for uneven terrain. And so you can build the best shooting position in the worst terrain. Uh, so you guys, if you're in the market for some new shooting sticks or a new bipod, make sure to check out Swagger. I also want to thank Mountain Archery Fest. MAF is putting on multiple shoots this season, and there's no better practice for a bow hunter than shooting a 3D shoot on the mountain. Uh, mountain Archery Fest, they've done a good job of putting this event together as they have a whole weekend full of events with pub night, movie night, uh, multiple different courses at different skill levels. Uh, they have a, a competition phase to it, and they also have the the Pope and Young record replica series where they do 28 Pope and Young records, and they have a foam replica of it, and they set it up in the exact shot uh, that the hunter took when he took this animal, and, and they have a little plaque by it, and um, it, it, it's just a ton of fun and great practice for the season, and so they're putting on four events this year. They're... 
Their first event will be in Durango, Colorado, June 11th through June 13th. Eagle Point, Beaver, Utah, 25th through the 27th of June. Uh, Lookout Pass, July 9th through 11th. And then at Snow Basin in Huntsville, Utah, July 23rd through 25th. So I'm going to make that one at Snow Basin. Uh, I'm going to meet the Eastmans there and shoot that course. So should be a great tune-up before season. Super excited for it. Uh, they just put on a great event, and it's um, the best practice you can get before hunting season. So make sure to get signed up. We have a promo code here at Eastman's. So uh, at checkout, just put in Elevated21 uh, and, get, and receive 20% off at checkout. So thanks to Mountain Archery Fest for their support of the podcast. All right. Make sure to check out everything we have going on over there at Eastman's. Uh, Eastman's Hunting TV, Beyond the Grid, Tag Hub. Eastman's Flycast, and uh, we sure appreciate the support. Um, so with that, man, just getting my bear season started here, starting to get to the woods. They're starting to green up, so super excited for that. And then just awaiting these tag draws. Um, so far, I've I've blanked across the West, but I have a, a, a handful of general season tags, so I'll be hunting somewhere no matter what, but sure hoping I pull one of these good ones somewhere. So uh, excited to see these draw results come out. And uh, excited to get rolling on some bear season here and see if I can earn some stocks on some big Bruins. Um, but yeah, super fun. Spring's cutting loose and um, nice weather and um, just putting that training in and getting ready for fall as well. Uh, great training runs lately. Great shooting. Uh, getting in my lifting. Everything that's necessary to become the best bow hunter I can be this season. So um, thanks a bunch, you guys. I appreciate the support. Let's get into this podcast. Baker Levitt. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Okay, I'm live here. I'm over at the Eastman's office. Um, I got a chance to meet Baker face-to-face. So Baker's uh, been one of the friends at Eastman's for quite a while. And uh, Baker has been giving me some really good guests on Eastman's Elevated uh, and on Eastman's Flycast. So I, I just really appreciate you, Baker. Thanks for being on. Well, it's just good to finally meet someone that works with Eastman's that's under six feet tall. That's two of us. <laughs> we got to stick together. Yeah, so we can take them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. You walk into Eastman's and like the shortest guy here is like 6'2". Six, three. There is something in the water over here. I feel the same way. Yeah, I'm surrounded by giants every time yeah. I come in here. I mean, at least you feel safe, though. You know, that's <laughs> a good thing. Yeah, yeah, for now. Well, at least I got you to help protect me in here. But no, it's, um, yeah, they, they build all these guys so big, and then um, everybody's got a cowboy hat on. and um, Belt buckle and starch jeans and cowboy boots, because they need the, the, the additional height on the cowboy boots. Um. And then if you see them at SHOT Show, they, it's like you can spot them from a mile away because they're all 6'3 to 6'6. Six, six. They all have on cowboy hats and blazers and these massive shiny belt buckles, you know, and these fancy-ass boots. And um, No, they're great dudes. God, Huge, they're the real company. deal. Yeah, they're, uh, they're living the life out here. They're not pretending, that's for sure. Yeah, you got that right. It's everything you would expect, mm-hmm. you know. Like, oh, I want to be like, so where's your... Where's your horse? Like, did you guys ride horses to work? <laughs> they're, they're tied up outside. Right, on the hitching post. <laughs> That's yeah. it. So, uh, you're up from, where do you reside at? I live in Ormond Beach, Florida. Okay. So, just north of Daytona, south of Flagler. Okay. On the Atlantic side. Oh, wow. So, grew up in Savannah, Georgia. Um, then left Savannah at age of 33 to go to grad school at NYU. And I was there for a few years. Um, and then went from New York to washington state and lived in mill creek so 
about 25 miles north of Seattle. Um, and then from there, uh, I was there eight years, and then now I am in uh, Ormond Beach, Florida. Okay. Never leaving the state. Mm-hmm. There, that's home. There to stay. Oh, good for you. Good yeah. weather down there. Good fishing. It's phenomenal weather. It's excellent fishing. Really good hunting. It's a great state. Um, it's good hunting, too, down there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes, it is. So, well, I have a farm. Uh, we have a farm in America's Georgia. That's where I do all my deer hunting. Um, and then we have a boat, so we fish the Atlantic side, and then we spend a lot of time in Steenhatchee, Florida, which is uh, right at the where the right below the Panhandle, where it starts to book uh, bend down, like mm-hmm. the armpit right there. It's called the Lost Coast. So we spend a lot of time over there fishing, and, and then when scallop season comes in, we spend a lot of time scalloping there. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then I, you know, take hunts. Like I went elk hunting in New Mexico this year, and you know, the airport is. 10 minutes from my house, Daytona International, tiny airport, no lines, no wait, you know, flights everywhere. So, um, everything's great. Very happy there. And then to the farm where I do all my deer hunting, it's like a four hour drive. So, you know, and then to our place in Steenhatchee, it's three hours. It's fun when you find home, isn't it? When yeah, it has you, everything you need yeah. and family and friends. And then, man, that, that ranch sounds, I, I thought it'd always be cool to have like a good location to hunt whitetails where you could really focus and hone in on. So it's, it's, it's different for us, um, where you guys out here, um, Southern whitetails is a totally different species, you know, and it's a totally different style of hunting. And so we have, uh, 2,200 acres and that we manage intensively, um, and, you know, quality deer management take off, you know, X number of does only shoot mature bucks that are three and a half or greater. Um, so it's interesting cause it's, it's, it's convenient, but it's also the, the awesome part is being able to see changes in your deer herd that you are partially responsible for. So, um, I got a, had a, got a really nice nine pointer this year, which I was mentioning earlier. Um, Congratulations. Sounds Take, like a big, heavy one, too. That's great. Taken off of a buck decoy, which my entire life, I hear people about hunting decoys and stuff, and I was like, that is some Midwest nonsense. <laughs> it would never, ever work in the South. Because in my opinion, and I'll have this conversation with anyone, southern whitetails are the most skittish big game animal in North America, in my opinion. Is it the subspecies of them or the pressure or a combination well, of both? So our hunting season starts in September in Georgia in September and ends in January. South Carolina starts in mid-August. So if you look at the deer population in the state of Georgia, the number of hunters. Um, so uh, let's put it in perspective. Nevada last year harvested or the, in 2019, I think the just under 10,000 whitetails. Georgia if I'm not mistaken, it's about 400,000. Wow. So as a resident or non-resident, you come to Georgia, you go hunting with me, you buy your hunting license, and you can take 10 does and two bucks just because the population is so so drastic. And um, it's uh, – what was your question? I got – uh, the the uh, whether it was the deer subspecies oh, or the pressure yeah, okay, that right, did right. it. So they are um, – they're pursued – you're like basically half the year mm-hmm. and they're just super skittish. Like you can be hunting a food plot and have some, some deer browsing 
in the southeast corner, and you'll have deer enter the northwest corner, and the deer in the southeast corner will run like a striped gorilla. Just because they're like they're they're just they don't they don't ever get calm or relaxed. They're always just constantly freaked out by everything, mm-hmm. and then they're pursued year round, yeah. not year round, but you know, six months out of the year. So pressured animals and unpressured animals are two different species. Right. Yeah. And hunting high pressure elk and then hunting elk in the middle of the wilderness in the mountains they're two different species that i hunt so i totally get that and then as far as subspecies i know like i've hunted those coos whitetail with my bow those things are jumpy as all get out they never relax you know and it's another subspecies of whitetail and i would think those georgia whitetails are pretty close to those key deer that you have in florida or at least a smaller subspecies of whitetail yeah so a big so my biggest whitetail in georgia um the nine pointer I shot this year, he was, it was in December. I think I shot him. So he was like, uh, I shot him after the, right at the tail end of the rut. And he, he had lost probably 30 or 40 pounds. So a big, big white tail for us, like big body white tail is 343. I'm sorry, 230, 240 pounds. Mm-hmm. A 250 is a monster. Whereas you guys, you know, a deer 250 pounds is just no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're just insanely pressured. It's, 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 it, I love it. It's great. It's, it's, and I got to a place where I could just go drive. I'd go up on, you know, Wednesday or Thursday and hunt the weekend and then drive home, you know, work and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's been a real, a real joy. Yeah. Oh, how cool. Super switched on. Yeah. And then I could get on a plane. I went out to New Mexico and got a nice little elk. Um, good for you. How'd you like, uh, you've hunted bulls before, right? I have. Yeah. So yeah. I shot my first elk five years ago in Utah with my bow mm-hmm. um and basically in park city uh, uh i think it's um east canyon east canyon ranch is where i was that unit um sitting on a, on a so i was with my buddy and he had his daughter and he said i'm gonna take her over here this was the first day he's like do you mind if i if you, you can just sit in this wallow and i was like yeah you know i got a cow call a hoochie mama and um i'm just gonna sit here and if an elk comes in and like I was hunting broadside elk, legal elk. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, you know, it's my first elk hunt. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I didn't care what it was. Um, I was like, all right, I'll just pretend it's a big deer and I'll be still. And when it comes in and if it presents a broadside shot, I'm going to put it through both its lungs. Pretty simple. Um, yeah, I got it. I can do this. No problem. So I'm sitting there and, um, uh, it was Georgia Notre Dame game. And I had, I was like one X roaming and I had one little bar and, the game started, I think it was, it was like 5.01, I think was the time. And like, I get like sporadic texts from my brother. And I'm a, I'm a huge University of Georgia football fan. I'm, that's a, a huge fan. And I think that they had scored first early. And it's like, you know, and I'm sitting there and I hear this noise that I'd never heard in nature before in my life. And I was like, what is that sound? I was like, and this, and I wear hearing aids because my hearing's bad. And this was before I had hearing aids. So I was like, I'm going to go investigate. So I knocked an arrow and kind of slipped down this meadow. All right. And I come to the edge of this meadow and it kind of, it's like a hill that kind of goes down. There's a big hardwood that had fallen across the base of the meadow, the, 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 the low point of the meadow, um, massive tree. And I'm standing there and I look to my right and there's a cow moose. And I was like, and and what I'm telling you right now happened in 
one to two seconds. Okay, this is how fast all this stuff happened. I look over and I went, that must have been what was making that noise. What a ridiculous looking animal. And I'm like, this big, huge, massive cow moose. I was like, what a silly creature. And then I look to my left and there's, I see horns. And I saw G1s. And I thought, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening to me. And then my next thought was, this thing is covered in mud. Like there's mud falling off its rat. I was like, what is going on? And then I thought, on the clock, get back in the game. Like it's on now. I have chills right now telling this story. Barney, Barney will vouch for my hair and my arms are standing up. And I thought, here, this is it. And, 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 and let me backtrack. Growing up in the South, you always wonder, like, I would love to hunt elk out West. Will I ever get that chance? Will I ever get an opportunity to shoot one? Will I kill an elk? Will I have success? It's an aspirational thought that all Southern boys grow up with. Okay. And so I'm like, okay, I'm here and this is happening. I have no shot. Damn it. And I was like, well, if he hangs a left, my left, and walks 15 yards in between these two hardwoods, that's my shot opportunity. And it was like a remote control car. He hung a left, walked 15 yards, and not only did he stop there, he took maybe a 10-degree turn to his right and opened up his left shoulder and gave me both lungs. And, like, I pulled that bow back like it weighed, like it might, like it was a child's bow. <laughs> and I don't remember the shot, so because I don't remember anything. I just remember coming back, knock, peep, all that stuff. And I put the 20 and the 30 right on his, right on his lungs and cut it loose. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And he took off running. And I'm standing there by myself. And I look down, my right leg is, is just uh, jackhammering. And I, I just pulled out my phone and recorded my leg. I don't know why. And then I was like, what am I doing? This is so insane. I put my phone up and like, I'm looking at my right and my left. And it's like, what do I do? This is insane. I just shot an elk. And then, like, all hunting, doubt creeps in. Instantaneously. Oh, my God, I bet I screwed this. Oh, my God. I... And then I thought, I was like, oh, I bet I gut shot him. I screwed this up. Or I hit him in his liver. And I was like, no, man, I felt great about the shot. And, like, I think it was good. They have really big lungs. Like, and so I was like, all right, I need to wait 45 minutes. Like I'd seen on hunting television shows or something, you know. And so I was like. Well, I'm just going to ease over to where he was. And so I walk over there and um, I like just, I literally looked for a quarter of a second. I was like, man, I missed. And I was like, wait a minute, no, there's the arrow. Oh, there's blood on it. It's good blood. And then I looked to my left, the direction he ran in. And what I'm about to tell you, I, I exaggerate for effect a lot. Like I get emotional and I, you know, try to make people laugh and stuff. It looked like a haunted house had just cut a trail through the woods. There was blood on the ground to the right, the left. There was blood eight feet in the air. Uh, a two-year-old could have tracked this elk. So I walked 65 yards, dude, and there was, I mean, dude, it was like one of those uh, midnight M. Night Shyamalan horror movies, you know, just everywhere. And then I get to this clearing. And... So he was running through the woods, 
blood everywhere. And then I, what a, basically what happened was he stopped. And like, remember I said he was covered in mud. And I was like, oh my God, there's not like this massive blood trail. And then like I looked to my right, looked to my left. And I was like, oh shit, I did gut shot him. More doubt crept in. And then I found a speck of mud and blood. Like right there. And I was like, damn it, man. It's over. I screwed it. I ruined it. This isn't going to work for me. And then I looked to my left and he was laying there dead as hell. <laughs> it's awesome. Dude. So, so back to the, the comment about Georgia Notre Dame game. And so I was like, and I went to call my buddy and be like, oh my God, I just killed an elk. Like, oh my, uh. like I'm freaking out, man. Cause like I had just accomplished something that as a, growing up in the South, you just didn't know if it was ever going to happen because elk hunting is so foreign to us. You know, it's not like something like you guys see all the time. Like I'd never seen a dead elk, you know? And so I pull up my phone and like, there's all these updates from my brother on this game. And like, I'm trying to find out what's going on with the game and all this stuff. And like the lead had kind of gone back and forth a few times. And like my brother's emotional like me. And he's like, we're going to beat their ass. And then he's like, we're going to, they're going to, they're killing us. And like, I was like, I just a sensory overload, man. Like, I mean, dude, like I was a wreck. Like I was so excited. And then I was like, and so my buddy comes and we break down the elk and took some photos, dude. And like, I mean, it was, I was on top of a mountain. Literally and figuratively and emotionally, I was just like, if I never hunt elk again or if I never kill an elk again, like I got an, I got one, like I got one, you know. And as a southerner, it it was a just a phenomenal feeling. So we're 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 breaking it down, we get it broken down. And hold on, it wasn't it was at four, not five. Time times it, and so he's like, well, I'm going to go back. We're going to take this here. I think it took us about. Maybe an hour, hour and a half. And he's a wizard at break. And the elk fell in the perfect spot to break it. I mean, like it, everything was perfect. Okay. So he's like, I'm going to go sit with my daughter for the last like 30 minutes. Okay. And he's like, by the way, he's like, I heard your elk crash. You know, he's like, I, I knew you dropped it. Um, and so, uh, I'm sitting there and then, so now I'm by myself with this elk and it's euphoric and, I'm getting like sporadic updates from my brother and like, then we took the lead and it's like the fourth quarter. And then finally we're, we're like hiking this, uh, packing this elk out at dark now. And it's me, him and his little, little daughter. And like, I was just like, I don't pray. I'm not like a super religious person. But I was like, God, if we could just beat Notre Dame today, I'll never ask you for anything the rest of my life. Elk. And beat Notre Dame because I can't stand that program. And I just remember, <laughs> man, like every step on that pack out was the best step of my life. Because it was like everything had like a super purpose to it. And so I lost track. I lost full signal. They had just taken the lead. And I was like, son of a bitch. And then we get to the truck and get the elk loaded up. We're driving out of the canyon. And then like my phone just lit up. And I was like, man, congratulations. And I was like, yeah, thanks, dude. It was an awesome hunt. And I was like, wait a minute. This Wait a minute, what are you talking about? They're like, man, you guys beat Notre Dame. Like, it's an amazing game. And I was like, greatest day ever. <laughs> Best day ever. So, and then since then, um, I've killed a few other, a few more elk. Um, I got one in Colorado. I got one in Idaho, uh, in the Subway Bitterroot the next year with my buddy Jamie, who I started the Hunter Recruitment Project with. Um, horse pack. And so what I did with that was I got thrown off a horse when I was 12. And I, this is the truth. I had not been on a horse's back in 31 years. All right. Terrified. Irrational fear. Totally irrational. There's no rational. 
fought behind my fear. It just, it just screwed me up, you know? And so I was like, all right, I'm going to book this hunt with Boulder Creek Outfitters. And um, I was like, Jamie, I, I want you to come on the cell phone. He was like, all right. And the rationale was, I don't mind eating $4,000. I mean, I do, but I don't know that 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 cost of that hunt would have prevented me from not getting on a horse's back. But if one of my best friends is with me, I'm not going to be a coward and not get on a horse. So he's there and he's like, you ready? And I was like, yeah, man, it's going to be great. <laughs> in, dude, inside, I was a train wreck. And he's got a video of me walking to the horse and getting on the horse like I had done it my whole life. And so we're, we're, we're riding the horses in and, um, he looks back. He's like, how you doing? I was like, man, like, I don't know how I haven't done this in so long. I was like, this is amazing. And it's interesting because horses have the same gait as human beings do. And my buddy Crispy, who lost a leg in Iraq, one of the ways he learned to walk with a prosthetic was on the back of a horse because it teaches your hips to move. Horses, same, same gait as oh, a wow. human being. And so I was like, man, this is awesome. Um, and it was just great. And then, you know, what I learned was that, so I got thrown when I was 12. Got back on the horse, rode to the, my fan, our farm, rode, rode to the barn, Apache boy, he's a little Appaloosa, and never been on a horse for 31 years. All right? It didn't hurt when I fell off. I tell people I was thrown, but he just got a piece of bob wire hit his foot and he, he reared up a little bit. He had a tender mouth, so I yanked on the, on the reins, and I just kind of slid off his ass and fell on the ground. Got, it didn't hurt, you know? So, um, so let, let's, that's a waypoint in the story. Removed from the back of a horse by the horse freaked me out. So, I learned that hornets, wasps, and yellow jackets in this part of the country aren't in trees. They're underground. And so, this was early September, and the first horse alerts, second horse irritates the hive, and then the third horse gets lit up. I was always the third horse. So, on the way in, and we're on like, I remember one time, the first time it happened, we were on a kind of like a, a rocky outcropping. And so, like, I totally trusted the animals. Like, they, they know what they're doing. Like, you don't even need to hold the reins. They just, they walk. But he just took off running. And I was like, holy shit. That kind of scared me. But it was, like, I gained a lot of trust with that horse in that moment. I was like, all right, I'm safe. And so, it was awesome. Get, and then we got, happened again on the way into camp. So, it's twice. And I was like, I don't really like that. But, you know, whatever. And then, the next morning, we were hunting. Uh, we were going up to a knob. Three-fourths of the way up, we hear an elk bugle in a meadow. And I dismounted my steed because I felt like Legolas from Lord of the Rings, the elf. Dismounting mid-air, mid-stride, removing my bow from the scabbard, knocking an arrow, and diving into the bush. Like, in my head, it was like, you are the most athletic hunter in Idaho today. Like, <laughs> you are silky and you are smooth. You know, like, I felt like, and now, so I'm in the, in the, in the, it was like horse trail, 10 feet of like the gnarliest, thickest, like where a black bear would hang out. And in this beautiful meadow, all right, with like ferns and stuff. So I'm sitting there on a knee, kind of quartering a little bit to my left. My bow's like on the ground, basically. Um, in my hand, like the cams at the bottom, so I'm like, it's like here. And then all of a sudden I hear, and Jamie was like 20 yards ahead of me, and I hear 
him walking through the brush to me. I was like, what is he doing? I was like, and I've hunted on three continents with Jamie. All right. And, and Jamie grew up hunting deer in the South. And I'm like, no, there's no way in the world that Jamie Shira is walking to me through the brush. That just, it's not. And then I look to my right and I swear to you, six feet in front of me was a five by six bull elk snot dripping out of his nose eyes bloodshot like looked insane and like i'm sitting here going and this and this was the first day elk hunting so i shot my first elk first day in utah and now i'm on my second elk hunt and i'm eye to eye six feet with this bull elk and that's a that's a crazy experience man because like i still haven't had an elk hunting experience i heard a wallow i went down to the edge of a meadow an elk walked up and i shot him all right, I, so I wasn't interacting with him or any of that stuff. It's just opportunity shot. Got my elk. So I'm here, and he rips a bugle in my face, and I'm just like, what is going on? What's going on? And then he walked directly in front of me. So he's four feet in front of me, eyeball to eyeball, from me to you. And so what do I do? Remember, I'm on a knee. My left knee is, is up. My right knee's on the ground, and I'm facing, I'm probably, my body's aiming at 10 o'clock, and he's at 12. So what do I do? I draw my bow. So I'm sitting there with a 70-pound bow pulled back. I'm holding it at my waist, and I'm like, what in the hell am I going to do with this? (laughs) And so I was like, you know what, man? I'm going to stand up and shoot him in his face. Not literally, but like, I'm just going to stand up and drill him. Didn't work. So I stand up. And he takes off running. He runs 33 yards into that meadow. And these ferns are like shoulder height on me. But there was a 10-foot by 3-foot wide strip that he stopped in and cut a 180 and was staring at me. And I thought, I got a lot of buddies in spec ops. And I know that. Like I started, I thought about Andy Stump, who was in SEAL Team Six, and I thought about Evan Hafer. Evan was a Green Beret, founder of Black Rifle, and he worked for the CIA as well. And I started like running through stories that they told me, combat experiences and stuff. And I was like, I don't want to get shot in the neck. And so I was like, if I hit him dead center, I'm going to sit his esophagus. If I'm right, I'm jugular. If I'm left, I'm jugular. And if I'm far right or left, I just totally miss him. And I felt great about the shot. And I was like, right through, front facing me. And that was it. First elk, first day. Second elk, first morning. <laughs> Story gets a lot better from here. <laughs> so I am on cloud nine. Like I, I'm like, I, it's a, I can't even explain it to you. Cause I conquered a fear of horses. Shot my second elk. Justified a shot that some people probably wouldn't take. But in my head, I was like, if these things happen, it's going to end up in me getting another elk. And it did exactly, exactly what I wanted to happen, happen. Elk died. Blood elk. Real fast. So, and this is where the rest of the story gets good. Because then I thought, it's only going to get worse from here. Because any time in my life where, like, something crazy like that's happened, like, on the first opportunity, it all tends to kind of go downhill from there. So I spent the next nine days with my buddy Jamie. We didn't see an elk. We didn't hear an elk. We didn't see any fresh elk sign. We saw three-month-old elk poop. And back to the horse. Not only did I overcome a fear of horses, I then regressed back to an even greater fear of horses. (laughs) Because every single day, 
two to three times a day, my horse would get stung by wasps and I'd get thrown. So the last day, second to last, it's 12, we, we horse packing 12 miles. I said, I'm not getting back on that horse. I'm not hunting in the morning. I'm walking back to the lodge. And I grabbed my bow and my pack and I walked 12 miles out and back to the lodge. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it was that. And then the next year I was at the Motherwell Ranch in Colorado, um, and got like a, a little, little raghorn. Um, and then New Mexico, um, I got, um, a nice bull this year. And so that was a really interesting hunt. The, the Colorado hunt, man, you know, but that was actually, the Colorado hunt was the smallest bull by far, like just way smallest, but I got to experience an elk hunt, the bugling at full draw for a minute and a half. Um, while at full draw waiting, just take, give me, give me a step, give me one step and it's over. I had a bull come up behind me and start bugling and I had one show up to the left and start bugling. Like the the whole elk hunting experience, like interacting with the animals, happened at the Motherwell Ranch for me, and it was pretty rad. And also, my my guide on that hunt, um, not a lot in common with him, at all, actually. Um, nothing in common with the guy. Kind of thought he was annoying. Didn't really like him. Didn't really care for him. But while elk hunting, if I had to choose a person to elk hunt with. It would be him because the dude was so excited and he'd been doing this for 30 years. He was more excited than I was. And I knew that he wanted me to succeed more than I did. And that's a pretty badass feeling mm-hmm. to know that someone has your back and is rooting for you to be successful, you know, above all things. Um, and then New Mexico this year, um, I got out there like the tail end of the rut, um, missed a monster. My first so my first three were with my bow. And this is my first rifle hunt experience and got on some really big bulls, man. I had one bull that I'm going off what they told me. They said it was a 360. Okay. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything. Like I don't, I can't judge an elk. I can be like, that's a big bull and that's not a big bull. And I could say that's going to be a really good bull. Cause he's kind of young. Like, and Reekers kind of walked me through how judging him and stuff. And, um, it was a stud. It was a behemoth. And I was in the sticks for an hour and 15 minutes. And I was like, I need four steps. I just need four, four measly steps. And I got an hour and a half before sunset. This is going to happen. This is going to be cool. And so like the first like 20 minutes, like just absolutely dead frozen, like in the sticks on the gun, not moving a hair. And then like the, the cows that were in front of me, like, I think it's interesting to observe animals become comfortable with things. And then you become comfortable with them. And like, so you can, you're kind of, you can get away with a little bit of movement. And so like, Finally, it's like, all right, I just, you know, and then I started really looking. I was like, man, I don't need four steps. I need two. This is a 300 wind mag. Two steps. And it's over with. And he wouldn't give them to me. And so we backed out, and he gave me one of those FU bugles as we were walking out. Like, just ripped a monster. Like, get out of here. So, and then the next morning, um, this is morning. I mean, I had, in hindsight, I had more opportunities if we had done a few things differently, which is kind of cool to always look back on. But the fourth morning, fourth afternoon, I was like, you know what? I, I have a hierarchy in my head of the way my hunting is supposed to go. So I, could I pay 
fifteen grand and go kill some three sixty, three seventy like monster twenty five thousand dollars. Could I do that? Yeah, I probably could if I wanted to. Um, but I just I would feel really awkward about it. You know, like I would probably be personally embarrassed if I'm like, you know, I've got like a two eighty five euro and a three oh five euro and then all of a sudden there's this behemoth, you know, and this little raghorn euro over here and there's this behemoth and it's like I don't know enough about elk hunting to have that yet. Does that make sense? It does. So, um, and I was like, man, I just want a good bull. Like, I don't, and I told, uh, the outfitter, I was like, hey man, like, I don't give a shit about some monster. I just want to go have a cool hunt today. Let's just go out today and let's just do it right. And whatever happens, happens. And if I get a, a bull, you know, that's, that, I don't want a raghorn, but like, let's just, Let's not worry about that. Cause if I, I think if we, if we, if we, if we're, if we're judging success on this hunt based on a score that I don't even know how to score an elk, that's kind of a douchey thing for me. Not, and I would, if that was you, I wouldn't judge you for it. It's just me. It's just not the way I do things. And he's like, all right, I like your attitude. So that morning we almost got on this really cool looking bull elk. And, um, it, I, like I needed, I needed him to take the two steps he took a quarter of the speed he took them at. Um, and then that afternoon, like, we were trying to chase down this, like, we had a really nice bull. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, they're not there. They're over here. So we kind of start moving to a spot. And I learned on that trip is you hunt point A and you're hunting point B. But you also have to hunt the transition between A and B. You can't just be like, we want to get over here and hunt. You don't just haul ass and bushwhack your way over there. No, you need to move slow and quietly. And all the things that you do at A and B, you need to do between A and B. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying there? Mm-hmm. Sure as shit, man. I, oh, this fires me up. I was like, don't move, don't move, don't move, don't move. What? I went, what do you mean? What? What do you think I'm talking? There's an elk right there. He's like, oh, okay. He's an older gentleman. Great guy. Um, And uh, I saw horns. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And um, we're glassing, glassing, glassing. And this is like, I thought, I thought they were like 150 yards away. They were like 300. Um, and uh, we're watching them, watching them, and the cows are milling in front of us. And all of a sudden, I get a better look at the bull. And I was like, that's that bull from this morning. He's like, it damn sure is. And he's like, as soon as he crosses that clearing, drilling. I was like, you don't have to tell me twice. Like, I'm going to shoot him. And he goes, and shoot him until he stops moving. They're tough animals. Put him on the ground. You know, if he doesn't drop, shoot him again. I was like, all right. So, and I'll, I will tell all the listeners this. I do not profess to be a good rifle shot. I get buck fever. I get so excited. I'm not the best hunter, but I think you would have a hard time finding anyone that has as much fun as I do. And I'm not willing to give up that component of hunting for myself to become like a, like a sniper or a marksman because like I get buck fever. I shake. I, I'm just, and that to me is just, it's just what makes it fun for me, you know? And so my first shot, he saw, he told me, he said, don't shoot them in the shoulder, shoot them three inches behind the shoulder. As a southern whitetail hunter that drops a ton of deer every year with a 30 out 6 high shoulder, that's been ingrained in my body. My psyche, my DNA, 30 out 6 
high shoulder. Had a 300 wind mag. Did exactly what he said don't do. Shot him a little bit front on his left shoulder, and he took off, and then actually had to shoot him a couple other times. But, like, that was just an awesome hunt, too. So I got that. So I got that elk this year in New Mexico. Um, it was just super awesome experience, man. Like, it just, it's it's great. And it's, like, I think the people that hunt elk as much as you guys do, I don't think you understand, like, how lucky you guys really are. So as a, the way the Southerners, like, we we don't idolize that would be the wrong word, but like we just we're like, man, those dudes like they're out there chasing elk every weekend. And so for us, it's like we have a week. Those of us that do it, we'll go somewhere for a week at a time each year, usually a different state, and try to get it done. And so we just we try to we're trying to create a lifetime of memories in a very short period of time, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, yeah, man, it's it's awesome. I oh, love it. Good on you, man. Yeah. You got some good elk hunting experience. Uh, just over in the last handful of years, I. I mean, I still think to this day there is nothing more thrilling or exciting than hunting bull elk, and especially hunting bull elk during the rut. I tell people that if you hear an elk bugle and you are in pursuit of a bull elk, you are hunting and you hear one bugle and you don't feel it at a cellular level, there's something off with you. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying... You might want to go talk to someone, get, get, get some blood work done. It's just like, there's something, yeah. some, some levels are not right. Like, um, I, I just, yeah, it's like, it's just, it's, there's nothing that can compare to it. There's something that attaches to our DNA. There's something like a, a hunting bull elk is more exciting than jumping out of an airplane, more exciting than, than bungee jump. It's more exciting than anything I've done in my entire life. Like the thrill that I get out of chasing those things and elk are real fun because they're nomadic as well. And so it, it's not like uh, where you see an elk, it's not this methodical, planned out, slow play on these elk. You have to hunt elk aggressively and you have to move with them. Yeah. And you also have to adapt to the situation at which you're given. And so you see elk a long ways away on a feeding feature and you make a plan. But when you get over there, the plan's all changed. You got to come up with another right. plan. So like it's... um. That there's so much critical thinking that goes on too, and so much strategy that goes on, and, and then the adrenaline. Like every time I hear one of those things bugle, man, it just sends chills down my spine. And the fun is getting into them and being in the party mm-hmm. and having them bugle around you, like those nights where you get in and you find magic that you yeah. put in twenty days of elk hunt, but all of a sudden you hit it right where you hear three hundred bugles and they're glunking and they're chasing cows and they're trying to get close i walk away from those moments like like thinking it it just doesn't get any better in life for me like that is it that is the pinnacle and i will i will walk through broken glass day in day out to try to reproduce that excitement that thrill that fun so if you look at the emotions associated with things that you mentioned jumping out of airplanes um elk stuff like that there's no fear component attached to elk hunting. Oh, that's right. It's just, it's purely joy. Now, there's frustration, but the, the frustration is a byproduct of joy. Like, something doesn't work out. You're frustrated. They're not cooperating. But you easily default back to joy. And it's such a simple, tiny, tiny little mechanism that can revert you back to that, that feeling of joy and euphoria. Shit, they're not here. You hear an elk you immediately revert back to joy. 
excitement, whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever your yeah. word you want to use. So yeah, I think it, it, it's like the closest thing that we have to that. And I catch a lot of shit over this. I, I, there are people listening to this podcast that might turn it off after I say this. Turkey hunting is very similar to elk hunting. And stick with me, listeners. Um, it's the closest thing Southerners have to elk hunting. So, like, for us, like I said, we have a week, once a year, on average, where we'll go somewhere in elk hunt. But we have our turkey season. And it's very similar because there, it's the interaction, mm-hmm. the turkey gobble, the turkey coming into you, to your gobble, to your decoy, or, or you're just, you know, using a call to get him in. And for us, it's very similar, that gobble. And so we have that to go on throughout the in the spring, and then once you go on your first elk hunt as a southerner, and you hear that elk bugle, you immediately stop comparing elk hunting to turkey. Hunting. <laughs> it, it, it is it's, it's completely insane. And like growing up in the South, man, and I say that a lot, but like there's certain things like most southern. You know, you either want to go hunt in Africa, you know, like Wild Kingdom growing up as a kid, or you want to go hunt the West, like the bears and the elk and the mule deer. And not really. Well, you know, uh, bighorn sheep or elk or, or bears, grizzlies and stuff. So those are like aspirational hunts for, for Southerners. And I've had the joy of actually being able to do both of those. And I've been to Africa a bunch, which is just a, phenomenal experience and i think what and we'll talk about this later the hunter recruitment project it kind of spawned off of some trips of us going to africa but um i cannot imagine a year going by from now until the time i'm in the ground where i don't go out west elk hunting and one of the things that i've i've dreamed of doing i've hunted elk with my best friends and my brother, Mitchell, who's a, he's an MD. He was a force recon Marine for six years, got out, went to college, um, medical school, residency, fellowship at Stanford. And now he's, uh, a doctor paid off all his student loans, like super aggressively. And now he's making really, he's a, he folks, he does, a his primary thing is, uh, uh, spinal stimulators. Okay. So, you know, he's actually has some success now paid off his, you know, that, uh, his medical school, uh, student loans and all that stuff, wife, two kids. And he's just like, he's like, I want to shoot an elk. And I'm like, now we're talking, brother. Like, now you're speaking my language. So I'm going to try to plan an elk hunt for him um, this coming fall to take him on his first elk Oh, hunt. how cool. You get to share it with him. Oh, yeah. it's gonna, but, but, like, you, you got to you, – it's interesting, like, looking at guys that, like, have seen combat and heavy combat. Mm-hmm. And – um you know, there's a lot of people like, oh, you know, this dude, you know, he's, you know, a uh, Green Beret or he's a SEAL or whatever. And, you know, we're going to take him hunting and all that stuff. And that's going to, you know, like cure his ailments and all that stuff. It's interesting, like the process where it really makes a difference and where like watching Evan Hafer, the CEO and founder of Black Rifle Coffee, get into elk hunting, like watching him, watching Andy. I took I was with Andy when he, when he went out on his first elk hunt um, in Utah and watching those guys like the process, because like elk hunting. You're not like, all right, man, I'm going to go shoot an elk, you know, bow hunting elk. Um, you're just going to go. No, you start practicing, and there's a process, and it's like a journey, and there's a purpose. Um, and that's one of the other things about uh, elk hunting that just I absolutely love is 
getting a bow, shooting. So in the South, you're not shooting a whitetail over 30 yards with a bow. I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good a shot you are. Like, they they string jump like you wouldn't believe. And, like, I, the, a, a white-tailed deer will put its belly on the ground before you hear your string. So, like, then you start getting out of your comfort zone, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60. And then I remember when John Dudley uh, started working with Andy Stump and, like, had him shooting out to 100. I was like, that is absolutely insane. But it's like, if you practice at 100, 40, 50 is a chip shot for you, man. So that's another thing I really like about elk hunting is because you don't have to be in shape to hunt whitetails in the south. You don't spot and stalk them. You sit in the ground. You, well, hunting whitetails out of a ground blind in the south is actually kind of silly, too. Um, you're in a tree stand or blind. If you're bow hunting, you're in a locker one. And just you got to be in shape. Because I'm, I'm, for those listening, I'm 5'10", 235, 240 pounds. Um, and I live in Florida. What we don't have in Florida is hills. It's as flat as this table my hand's on right now. So the whole process with elk hunting, it's a journey. And it's not just a, I'm going to go on this hunt or I'm going to draw this tag and I'm going to go be successful. No, you got to be in shape. you got to be really good with your bow. And you have to learn some patience because... There's a lot of twigs and branches and sticks, and you'll see great elks, and there's no shot opportunity. No great elk, there's no shot opportunities. You just have to be patient. It's. I don't think there's anything like it. It's, I like the way you explained it. That it's. It's not the success of harvesting an elk that's the most exciting part of the best part of the process or the journey. It's everything in between. Yeah. It's preparing for it, and that's probably why. You know, you're seeing the military guys, why they connect with it so mm-hmm. well is because, you know, they're used to training and putting a lot of hard work right. and then showing up to, to game day or showing up, you know, to battle and being ready. And, and I think they get that same thing out of hunting elk. Yeah. They have to prepare all year long. Yeah. And then when they get there, they find out how difficult it is, Stone. how difficult the mountains are, yeah. how difficult it is to keep your composure and make a shot, how how difficult the whole process is yeah. and what it takes from you just to give yourself a chance at success. Yeah. So, like, they're falling in love with the whole journey and process, and, and with that comes that excitement to get yeah. into elk. I it, love the way you explain no, it's that. it's phenomenal. Yeah. And then also, um, I had some uh, – shot my first – Mule deer, which is an, uh, that was last year in the Panhandle of Texas, um, phenomenal, phenomenal deer. And I also I, I hunted um, mule deer uh, with my buddy Jamie in, in September um, out in Arizona, mm-hmm. and um, I think Unit Seventeen A. We were with Big Chino Outfitters. Okay. Um, Eleven is the strip, right? Uh, Twelve and thirteen are the okay. strip. So we, yeah. I think we were Seventeen A. And if okay. I'm if I if I'm saying that incorrectly, I don't know what I'm talking about. But um, that was the, you know spot and stalk, you know, with a bow, mm-hmm. you know, over the counter public land mule deer, where the success rate is like twenty percent. That was a whole different experience. But that some of my greatest memories um, have come hunting, and it's been with other people. So I've had tremendous success in hunting. I've harvested a ton of animals and I've shot a lot of deer, ton of stuff in Africa. I've had some success with elk as I described earlier. Um, but the thing now in life, honest to God, you get to a point, man, where like killing an animal and, and, and 
it's 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 fun you know you're you're getting meat and 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 i love to give the meat away like i i just it, I, I adore it but the thing that i realized and jamie realized at about the same time was the joy from hunting with your friends and introducing people to it so like i totally get off on giving meat to people that have never had it and stuff and they they, they freak out about it and so i went on a stalk the first morning and i thought all of our hunting trips together, me and Jamie, I've always like killed the first day. Like I have a golden horseshoe shoved at my ass. All right. Especially with elk. Um, and then, so my first stalk, I was just kind of, you know, hiking in on to try to get on this buck. And I was just like, this is so fun. It's just typical. I'll kill day one. He'll kill. If he does like day seven. So wind shifted, push bump some does bump the does into the buck buck ran off come out get in the truck and we've glassed up this monstrous tanker of a mule deer and he's in a thicket and the wind's blowing from two to eight all right and perfect scenario like it doesn't, and, and, and uh, uh, JP said, he goes, this is the perfect scenario to spot and stalk, to stalk in on a mule deer buck. So we sent Jamie, I think it was about two and a half miles in to get to where there was a big juniper tree. Well, like, you need to get there. And um, takes him forever. He finally gets there. You know, every step counts. And if you think you're going slow enough, go slower. You know, takes the shoes off, all that stuff. He gets to the base of that juniper, and you can use radios in Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, and we, it's funny, like when you're glassing something from here, and you think you know what it looks like from up there, it's a totally different, it doesn't look the same. So we thought that this buck was 60 yards from him, all right? And um, he gets there, and we're not talking, it's, we're going through clicks, you know, like one click yes, two clicks no. Well, that buck was like, 17 yards from him. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. So the sun started to move, and the sun, the sun started to hit. There were some flies around the buck's head, and he was shaking his head, and that's when Jamie knew where he was. And he ranged him, and, it, and, like, you know, and so all of a sudden he stands up. And we, like, me and JP and Robert are like, oh, my God, he's up, he's up, he's up, he's up, he's up. And we can't, you know, we don't, we don't want to talk into Jamie's ear and distract him. We're like, oh, my God, the buck starts walking to the tree that he's kneeling under because there was shade there. And I'm going, what in the hell is going on? He's walking directly to Jamie with his head down. And the only shot Jamie had would be put it through his skull plate, which he's not going to take that shot. Now, Jamie's 6'5". He, sh it's, it's he shoots a big Matthews. His arrows or like 560 and they're just super heavy and his bow is he's got, got so much energy. he's got like a 33 inch draw too so this thing is and i'm like he could shoot him in the head and probably penetrate his skull but that's <laughs> a stupid shot he gets to seven feet from jamie seven and he goes to bed so you know how a dog does the stretch where he stretches his legs out so he does that and right then he sees jamie and he goes to turn and he just drills him and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs because I watched the whole thing through glass. And um, 
JP's like, we got blood, we got blood. Now, like I said, Jamie shoots a huge arrow, and um, it's going like 210 miles an hour or something. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like a tomahawk <laughs> missile, man. And uh, he's like, we got blood, we got blood. And we see the buck take off running, and he just eats it. Full velvet, just a hammer. I th- actually think you guys posted it on Eastman Social. Um, and that, for me, was kind of the genesis for the Hunter Recruitment Project. You know, um, which I'll get into now. But um, Jamie mentioned it to Brandon Lilly, and then we were sitting at the farm uh, in Americas, um, and we came up with this idea. It's like we have this property; it's twenty two hundred acres. Jamie's dad is probably one of the best, like, land managers, you know, developing land for deer and all that stuff. He's done it his whole life, and so his first project was Rio Pedro which was down in uh, uh, South Georgia, quail capital of the world, or arguably Texas, South Georgia. And it was a quail plantation. And it was the first Orvis-endorsed wing shooting lodge in North America. So, I mean, this guy knows what he's doing. And he's older now, and he's just he likes to buy land and develop it and put in roads and, you know, cruise the timber and not strip strip the timber, but selectively harvest it so it grows bigger and better and just really improve the deer habitat. And he is obsessed with deer. They're his property. These aren't fence properties. There's no fence. So there's no livestock there. Um, he just likes growing big deer. And um, it's like, you know, we got this property and we need to, you know, harvest, you know, a bunch of does off of it every year and to manage the bucks. We need to get rid of our coal bucks and stuff like that. And um, he's like, I, I want to start taking some people who've never been hunting. I was like, yeah, let's, he's like, let's call it the Hunter Recruitment Project. So the HRP was born. Um, and what we do we we did two trips this year to the property and we took seven hunters and paired each hunter up with a mentor so they're there four days and teach them how to mount a scope how to zero a rifle how to shoot a rifle and we teach them about stand selection stand placement all that stuff and every single person that came on every trip shot one to two does and so we teach them how to book butcher and break down take them up to the processor clean them skin them you know, process the meat and all that stuff. Um, and uh, Tier Simak, who's uh, head of corporate giving for Black Rifle Coffee, is a special forces uh, medic. Um, did like a, you know, wilderness medic course and told him like, if you follow the standard, you get hurt, you get injured, whatever. And so um, we have some great brands that work with us and support the process. And we, and then Mike Hearn came on as our director of operations. He's an E8 in the U.S. Army. And he did a course on, uh, tag hub and all that stuff and then like uh, how to find public land access because a lot of the people were like from you know not from the south they're from out west and stuff so um, started doing that had two very successful events um, so I think it was 18 people killed their first deer got Man, blood on the amazing. face yeah. yeah how cool and, and the mentors are like we hand we hand pick the, the hunters and we hand pick the mentors so like the mentors were like Bert Soren who owns Sornex. Amazing. Yeah, he's a great guy. Terry Hewen, who was a Navy SEAL for 26 years, 17 years in SEAL Team 6. Um, awesome, awesome guy. Brandon Lilly was a mentor. Um, who else did we have? Jamie was a mentor. Myself. Michael Howell, one of our closest friends, played professional baseball. Um, That's amazing. Well, the bar for entry to get into hunting is so difficult. If you don't have a mentor, your family wasn't into it. Uh, it's so tough to get into and to find the information or the knowledge and, and people feel overwhelmed or intimidated by the process. Well, that's the main thing. It's fear. Yeah. Fear, fear is the greatest 
fear will prevent you from doing so many things in your lifetime that you don't understand how easy it is. So if you can get past the fear bar, fear of the unknown, well, I don't know how to do this. I taught myself how to hunt. So my, I'm from Savannah. My family's originally from Sylvania. Um, the whole family moved to, uh, when my great-grandfather, W.R. Altman, passed away in 1976. The whole family ended up moving to Savannah in 77. And we still have a farm in Sylvania, Georgia. And I'll never forget this. It was the day before Thanksgiving, my sophomore year of high school. Drove out to the farm uh, at 5 o'clock in my Honda Accord and picked up a 30-06 rifle out of the passenger seat that I borrowed from someone. Had a, you know, like a, this is 1993, like Bushnell from 93, like non-variable. And I walked to the fence that goes into our big pasture. And I looked to my left and there was eight deer there. I put the 30 6 on the fence post and picked out the biggest one, which I thought was a big eight-point buck because I thought the ears were horns. Um, and uh, put it right there, right behind the shoulder. It's a 165-grain Winchester silver tip. The Remington 700. And uh, pulled the trigger. And I thought that when you shot a deer, it dropped dead. Like in the movies. You know, you see movies, they throw a knife at someone that kills them. And I was like, well, shit. Ran off. The hell, man. And I kind of walked down to where I thought I'd shot and there wasn't a deer there. And I was like, well, shit, I missed. Get my, bro- my little brother's there with me. Mitchell was like, Mitchell's 12. And um, he's like, shit, man. This is your fault. He's like, what are you talking about? Get in the car, go back to the farmhouse. I was like, yeah, I thought I shot a big eight-point buck, but I guess I missed. Like, well, we'll go look in the morning. And so the next morning, we go out to the farm, go to the pasture, and we're kind of, the grandfather's in his van, a big red van, and he's like driving through the field, and my brother and I are walking. My grandfather's like, oh, you missed. He turns around, and I, there's the deer. I was like, oh, my God, go get Tom. That's what we call grandfather. Well, when he was alive, we called him Tom, not granddad or anything. Grandfather's our Tom. Who's Tom? Mitchell, go get Tom. So my brother goes taking off through the field. He goes, oh, my God, here's another one. So what happened was I shot a big old doe, and there was a like a yearling behind it that I didn't even see. And that Winchester silver tip went through, and the tip, and the exit wound was as big as a softball. And the bullet went through the doe I shot and then went into the other doe, hit it, ran off and you know, they just died there. So my first time I ever killed a deer was by myself. Well, my brother was there, but um, I wasn't wearing camo or anything. I didn't know shit. And uh, two deer with one shot. That's <laughs> uh, wild. And so and but, so, I taught myself. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I hunted my whole life, you know, with no mentors. And this is, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm 45, and this is, you know, 90s and early 2000s and like social media didn't exist you know, emails and internet didn't exist and everything was either magazines or whatever and i just i read whatever i could read you know and kind of just taught myself and then with you know um so i but i'm the type of person that like i'm not scared of the unknown i, I just it doesn't phase me i'll just go figure something out because I, I have this opinion i have i kind of hold myself in a high regard in the ability to i'm a i'm a connector i'm a network guy and I, I just, I know that I, I'll go talk to people. I'll ask questions. I'll ask, Hey, how do you do this? What do you know? Blah, blah, blah. It just, I'm not intimidated by things because I've always thought that I belonged, mm-hmm. you know, like I refer to it as I'm a starter. I always need to be on the field. If, if something's, if there's a meeting that, that inquire that, that, that there's 
important decisions to be made, I need to be there because my opinion is is sound and, and important. And I've just always kind of had that mindset. If you can do it, I know for a fact that I can do it. I'm not saying I can do it better for, than you initially, but like, and it's not like some com- psycho competitive drive. It's just if it's something I want to do, I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't have that. People, I'm not timid. I'm not like I walk and start talking to strangers. I don't care. And so a lot of people, they just don't have that ability to take that first step. And we basically showed these people how easy it is to hunt and how easy it is to harvest, shoot, kill a deer, clean it, eat it. It's not hard. You just got to have someone willing to show you how to do it. And so all the mentors that we've chosen um, are accomplished hunters, soldiers, outdoorsmen. They've been hunting a long time. And they and every single one of them that we approached, they're like, oh, my God, I've been wanting to do something like this for so long. You know, like, God, this is fantastic. So that's kind of where we are. This we this uh, tw- In 2021, we plan on doing four deer hunts in Georgia um, like we did that we're going to do some pig hunts we're going to do uh a couple turkey hunts in texas i've got a place in kansas and in texas so we'll do some turkey hunting and stuff like that and then we're going to do um this summer we're going to do a couple work parties for people that plan on coming and participating in some of our events it's like hey we want to take it a step further so i can teach you how to shoot a deer i can teach you how to find a deer i can teach you how to buy a hunting license how to buy a plane ticket to get to a destination but the next iteration is kind of teaching them why are we doing the things that we're doing? Why is this stand here? Okay. Why is this stand here? Well, there's this thing called wind. And like you can have the greatest camo system in the world and a $5,000 rifle with a $5,000 scope and the finest handmade bullets in the world and everything you need. But if the wind's wrong, you have nothing. So, we're going to do a couple work parties, teach people, you know, and one, another thing we do, like show people how to hang lock ones and stuff like that. But, um, it's going to be awesome, man. Like it's something, um, that I'm passionate about. Jamie's super passionate about. We've got several brands that have come on board. Black Rifle Coffee is going to be the title sponsor now. Um, so it'll be the Black Rifle Coffee Hunter Recruitment Project. Everly Stock, uh, is, is, and that's another thing we do. When the hunter arrives, they have an Everly Stock pack, Cryptech provided camo. Uh, Mossberg provided rifles for everyone, the Mossberg Patriot. Um, we've got ammo there. They've got a soft-sided Yeti cooler. So then what we do is we, we go to the farm and we shoot some does and have them processed. So they hang for a week, and then they get professionally butchered and all that stuff. So they're flying home with perfectly prepared meat to eat. It's not, it's not their deer, but I, what I don't want to do is have someone shoot a deer, gut it, and then freeze it, and then take it home. I want them to hang and all that stuff. So they get a Yeti soft-sided cooler, Leupoldsen's, uh scopes for all the rifles. Everybody gets a pair of Leupold sunglasses. Um, everyone gets a one-year membership to Eastman's Tag Hub. They get a, a one-year subscription to the magazine, um, a big, huge black rifle welcome kit, coffee, and all hats and all this great stuff. So, um, And then uh, Tactic Calories, a bunch of spice, spices and seasonings, wild game seasonings. And then Mountain Primal provides meat and stuff. So, And there's it, a huge social component, too. So, like... The last one we did, we had Fiona Pierce, who's from New Zealand, works for Black Rifle. We had Nikki Selby, who's a critical care flight nurse. We had Brojack, who's a Navy search and rescue swimmer. Um, and then sportswoman Courtney was there as a female uh, mentor to mentor the girls. And so, like, they all 
Fiona missed twice. So she experienced failure. And then the next morning ended up taking two does. Um, uh, Nicole's, I can't, Scar Legino, Tear Simax girlfriend. Um, she didn't kill her deer until last 20 minutes of the last hunt. And it was raining. And I just kind of looked at her and I could tell she was getting super frustrated. Um, just cause it, everyone else had been done, tagged out. And so she's sitting there and I just looked at her and went, Hey, I cannot tell you how many times I've been in your situation. More times than, than not, I've been in your situation, but I just want you to know that what you're experiencing right now can do a 180 in a fraction of a second. You can have the worst experience of your life hunting. And then in the 11th hour, it changes like that. And she's like, yeah, I hope you're right. And I was just in my head. I'm like, well, please stop raining. Just stop raining for 20 minutes. God, just give me a window. Let me just see one deer for this girl. Um, and she'd seen deer. We just, we hadn't had a chance to get her a shot like in previous hunts on the trip. And we're sitting there and it was like, you know, when it gets orange and it stopped raining for like, it's just stopped raining and it got real orangey and I went deer and Nicole's small. She's like five feet. I stood up, physically grabbed her and lifted her up and put her in my seat because that was the shot. Grabbed the rifle, put it out the window of the, of the blind, put it in her shoulder. And I just said. Whenever you're comfortable, give me a slow, slow pull on that trigger. And as soon as, like, the R left my mouth, boom, dropped it in its tracks at 160 yards. I've never been happier. Like, it was one of the best experiences of my life hunting, and I've had some phenomenal ones. And, like, it was just, like, I think she enjoyed it more than any of the other people, but, like, when you come back to camp and you've got five trucks there and there's seven mentors and seven hunters and like there's been success and failure amongst that group and like everyone is just high-fiving and hugging and the like girls have blood on their face from kill you know that's in the south that's what we do um i don't think you can you, there's no drug in the world that can compare to that and that it was just a phenomenal experience that's so, so cool. Yeah, no, it's great. It's well, been great. And, and like you say, uh, people are wired different, or maybe it's just something they're interested in, but giving them those skill sets, like uh, uh, today's day and age is so nerfed. And in us as guys, you know, we get to play sports in high mm -hmm. school and we get to challenge ourselves that way. But after we kind of get out of high school, like uh, we don't know where to put our energy at. And right. that's why I think so many people are lost is they just don't have that passion or that love. And, and not that hunting's it for everybody, but it can be it for a lot of people. And that's just the start of it. Like uh, my family gave me the basic skills, but we grew up in western Washington hunting blacktails, hunting right. Roosevelt's, and, and we didn't know what we were doing. Our our MO was to bust brush and, and create opportunities. Right. And we would have been more effective driving the roads and covering the openings and clear cuts and stuff. But that's just how my family hunted, which, you know, in turn taught me some great life lessons about hard work and about right. effort. But then from there, you know, after I got done with the, the high school sports, it was something I really loved. And I was like, man, I need something to put my energy in. And that's where I started taking hunting to the next level of finding adventure hunts that I could go on. And I, you know, it, I built my name, you know, or created this podcast out of nothing. I'm just a blue collar carpenter that loved a bow hunt. So if you look at, look at it this way, when we're growing up, 
So I started playing sports when I was five years old. As we, when we grow up, there's opportunities and things that we should try and do. Like you're all through elementary school, middle school, and high school, play sports. Try this sport. Try this. Join this sport. club. Yeah. Okay. You're not an athlete. Maybe chess club or my, math club or science club or or, or or be a cheerleader or mm-hmm. or play girls basketball or, or wrestling or whatever it is. There's we're pushed into all learning all of these new skills and at least if they're not for you we're pushed into we're encouraged to try these opportunities. Once you get out of high school and college, it stops. Go to work. There's no one telling you to go out and go join a rec league or play this sport or learn this new skill. And that's the thing. It's like, so I grew up playing sports my whole life. I played sports in college. I, you could say I played some semi-professional soccer after college. You wouldn't think it looking at me. But um, I, the new, like, and then I, I got into, um, I raced road bikes, 10-speed Lance Armstrong stuff. I was 170 pounds back then. I did that, and then I got into CrossFit, and I competed in CrossFit, and then I, my left shoulder from cycling, as you can see, the range of motion is garbage. Um, and then I, uh, from that, I got into powerlifting and had some tremendous success there and set like a state record in Washington in the back squat. And then, like, in hunting and stuff, so I'm learning new skills as I go along, but, like, there's been, like, this 10-year lag of learning new skills. And so I, before we went on that Arizona mule deer hunt I was telling you about, I haven't been able to shoot a bow. I'm a right-handed person for everybody listening. And my left shoulder, which is the hand I hold my bow, my range of motion is garbage because of two really bad cycling injuries, not doing PT, and then getting into powerlifting. Um, and I haven't shot a bow pain-free in 10 years. And I'm left that dominant, though. And I just thought, screw this. I'm going to learn to shoot left-handed. Five days before I went on that Arizona mule deer hunt, I got a left-handed bow. And, like, literally learned to shoot a bow left-handed five days before that trip. And now it's all I shoot is left-handed. And, I had, and it, it was, everyone was like, well, how's it going? I was like, dude, to be able to shoot a bow pain-free is, and the arrow go where I want it to go is phenomenal. And that was the thing that kind of tied into the HRP, too. It's like, I learned a new skill. I learned to sh- and now it's a skill I had previously doing it right-handed, but I learned to shoot a bow left-handed. Um, and that's another thing. It's like we just don't have opportunities as adults. There's no encouragement to go learn new skills. So, like, you know, because of social media and stuff, like, you know, people, you know, that I work with or friends with and they follow me on social, they're like, oh, that's so cool, man. Like, you're living the life. It's like, well, you can too. You can do what I do. Like, I don't, I'm not a good hunter. I, I, you're not going to find out that has as much fun as I do. I, I promise. I'm. I am. I am the best in the world at having fun hunting. I'll, <laughs> I'll say that right now. But like with regards to skill and patience and all that stuff, like I don't. I don't. I don't possess those qualities. But I. I have a blast doing it. And there's no reason that you can't do that. Like Fiona from Black Rifle. Fiona was. She's like. I really want to learn to hunt. I like teach me. And I was like, Are you? Sh- you sure? She's like, Yeah. I was like, All right. Well. Keep these dates open. Buy a plane ticket to Georgia. You're going to come hunting. She's like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, absolutely. So just the ability to take like a new hunter and like and you, you can't force it. You got to want it. Like you got to be a point in your hunting career to where failure with regards to not harvesting an animal is totally acceptable. Okay. Because you're going to get frustrated with these people. Like, so like if you're, 
if you're not there yet, don't do it because what it's going to do, it's going to cause friction because they're going to do things that you don't want them to do, but they don't know any different. You know, like with Nicole, she was getting frustrated and it was physically manifesting in her to where like she was making a ton of noise, like crossing her legs loud and like, like stomping her. You could just move and not like nonstop movement. And I was like, Hey, this will, this can change in a quarter of a second. You just got to be patient and fight the urges that you're dealing with right now. Like, so it, it, when you get to a point where it's not just about killing any of them, that's when you can start taking people. And even if you're not ready to take people hunting because you're still focused on your self hunting, which is, that's not a bad thing. You're just not there yet. You can still help people by encouraging them just, hey, get a tag, read the rules and regs. Don't call me to help understand rules and regs because I still can't understand the damn things. And I don't know anyone that really can because uh, they're complicated. But just get your ass out in the field. That's what you got to do. You just got to go out. And so I think um, that's the thing, man. Just you can you don't have to have like an organization like we do where, you know, companies are sponsoring it and all that stuff. Like you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Just take someone, mentor them, help them in some capacity. Shell, tell, tell stories because it's it's interesting like uh a lot of the guys at black rifle came from the socom world and my dad was uh green beret in fifth group for like 22 years he died in 1981 so i've always been kind of obsessed with that and so like you can ask anyone at brc like i will ask ten thousand questions about military service and stuff like that and and i tell them um like the things are the most basic, simple things that those guys went through. Boot camp, basic training. They're interesting to me because I didn't do it. And it's the same thing with hunting. Like the most basic thing, like, yeah, I'm going to go in my backyard and shoot my bow today. Share that information with someone because like if someone, and you can tell when people are kind of reaching out and they want to learn a little bit about what you're doing, just take a second. Because what, what's, what's like the basic entry-level stuff to us, they don't know any of that. That's it's I, cool to them, you know? Man, uh, you're so spot on. I I have two daughters, 16 and 13, that have been hunting with me since they can begin to hold a rifle or a bow. They mm-hmm. shoot 4-H. But it, you you forget the basics. You forget what you've already learned. To walk back out there with fresh eyes and to look at tracks and mm-hmm. have to tell them which way the deer's walking or to explain feeding ground and bedding zones. And yeah. and, and then to go have an adventure with my girls is uh, to go out and, and kill a deer and have to hike it back in dark and walk through these fields right. or, or to get out of their – you know, it's all about getting out of their comfort level, but – it's amazing when you can learn it through somebody's new eyes of seeing it. It's just like you with the hunter recruitment yeah. program. It's amazing. And not only that, but wanting to see your friends succeed and be better hunters and trying to help them. And also, uh, uh, you know, people that follow the podcast or follow right. social media that have questions that may start them on that, on that path. Right. But what an amazing program you guys have come up with the hunter recruitment program. So, how do you guys choose um, who goes on the hunts or who you're going to take or how do you guys go so about it, that? So in business and in life and as you evolve in things like there's steps and stages. And I have been a proponent my entire life of singles and doubles. So the people that focus on home runs are most likely going to fail. So we're new and I want the brand out there. So I handpick the mentors and, and I handpick the hunters. And there's something in it for us and our brand, and there's something in it for them. So Fiona, 
Black Rifle Coffee. Huge brand. Phenomenal company I, I work with. I've been with for six years. Um, the more people from Black Rifle that I can take hunting and, and they become successful, the more support that we're going to get from Black Rifle. So Fiona, Tier, Nicole, um, same with Mountain Primal. So I took John Moss, who's the CEO, and now Mountain Primal is pr- promotes HRP. And then the next trip we took, Darren Erb, who is a former vegan liberal hippie, looks like Jesus, uh, who runs all the social for Mountain Primal. I took him. And I paired him up with some people that were there that they, you know, camera guys and stuff. Um, and then <clears throat> Mike McBride from Everly Stock, uh, which is the freaking best because we were f- 45 minutes late getting into the stand. The wind was wrong. Everything was wrong. Everything was wrong. Okay. Everything was wrong. And we're sitting there and like, he had just come from like a long range shooting course with Brian Morgan, uh, Hat Creek training up in Idaho. And like, he's ready to get his gun. Like, I mean, he, I mean, so, uh, Morgan and Hat Creek, like they work with tier one operators. He has 1800 acres in, I think it's called Riggins, Idaho. Mm -hmm. And it starts at 1800 feet and goes to 8,500 feet. And it's long range, extreme angles and just psycho conditions. All right. And so he's like, man, he's like, I'm so fired to put some of these new skills to work. And I was like, that's the attitude I want to hear. But you're most likely long a shot's going to be 100 yards. He's like, okay. I was like, yeah, we don't need to worry about wind and shit like that. It's, you know, you got to, I think he had a, a 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, we had a 308. And we're sitting there and we get in the stand at like 5.14. 17 minutes later, he's like, oh, it's on. Here we go. Get ready. And this, group of does came out and literally walked directly to us and he shot he's like i said all right whenever you're ready ease the gun out of the front of the window of the squad and drill it and dropped her in its tracks like just dead and um i was like yes 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 and he's like you know, we're high-fiving and fist bumping and stuff and so, all right man it's Let's just be cool. Maybe another one come out. And so we're sitting. He looks at me. He goes, "Did I do everything right?" And I was like, "Do you see that deer dead right there, thirty <laughs> yards in front of us? Yeah, that. Yeah, you could. Yeah, that. That right there. Yeah, success." And like, I think it was fourteen minutes later. Um, so five seventeen. First deer was at five thirty four, and then fourteen minutes later, so five forty eight. Um, a coal buck that we've been after, and I'm looking. So it was. We were on a food. We were in a. It's called the redneck pasture one. So we're in the blind, 60 yards to the tree line, and they bed in there. And you can, and, and it's cool because you can teach them, like, feeding areas, staging areas, bedding areas. So they bed back here. They come in, and they stage, and they just hang out here, and they get comfortable, and they come out to the food plot. And I was like, oh, my God, there's two bucks. He's like, where, where? I was like, right in front of you. And I was like, and I'm looking. I was like, please, God, let that be the one without brow tines. Let that be the one without brow tines. And I was like, oh, my God, that's him. That's him. That's him. I was like. Be cool. When he comes out, let's get ready. And I was like, he's walking directly to us. And I was like, when he stops, we'll even shoot him. He's like, all right. It got like nine yards from that first deli shot, and he just drilled it right there. And like, we were high five. And then the cool part was like, it was, there was plenty of daylight left for great photos and stuff. So, you know, it that was an awesome experience. Um, it just, you know, it was just great, man. It's so cool. And he so works cool. with Everly Stock, and so, like, 
it's interesting, like, because he had never been hunting before. And it's like, you work for everybody's stuff. How have you never been hunting? He's like, I just hadn't had the chance. Like, I want to get into it so bad. And he'd been, like, out kind of kind of hunting, you know, with some guys. But, like, he'd never had any success. And so, like, that was just a, another, like, awesome, awesome experience. And then Austin Legg, who used to work for Everly, um, he shot a whopper buck. Like, so we don't. We don't necessarily want the hunters like shooting our trophy deer, but like Austin, it was going to, we like kind of traded a, you get to shoot a buck and you know, it was late season and you know, rut was over and like he sends us a text and he's like, guys, and he sends us a, like a phone scope photo of the deer. And like I'm texting Jamie and I was like, man, I've seen that deer a few times. And Michael's like, I have too. And I was like, I have wanted to shoot him so bad. I just haven't had a chance. But I was like, man, we can't duplicate this experience with him. Like in, in Austin, you know, I don't know if he's listening or if he will listen. I hopefully he doesn't, but like he, Austin's, he's never put a stud animal on the ground and he's gone out and cut his teeth and taught himself how to hunt. And he shot like a, you know, a, like a, I think he got like a spike bull elk one year. And like, he's shot some like dinker muleys and stuff out in Idaho. No offense if you're listening to Austin, but I was just like, dude, let's like, let, yeah, 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 for sure. And I texted Jamie and Michael on the side text. I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm, yeah, let him do it. And Jamie's like, yeah, absolutely. And we're like, let it, let it fly. And so I was at the yellow house and I walked down to the porch because he was hunting on the, on a 500 acre track right across from the other property. And I can hear the shots. And so I walk out there and I'm like sitting there like this and I'm listening. I hear it. And I went, that was a hit. And I jumped in the truck and just, and just hauled ass over there. And so I entered the field where the deer was. So when you enter that peanut field, and it was winter wheat at this point. Um, when you enter that field, it's 600 yards to the blind he was at. And he shot the deer at like 300 and 342 yards, I think is what it was. And so, like, I was, I pulled into the field and I was like, where is this deer? And I was like, oh my God, there he is. So I drive my truck up to it and I get out and I'm just standing there and I'm just like waving my arms like, get your ass over here. And like, he comes running across the field. It was an, it was awesome absolutely awesome experience man how cool yeah and that's and, and that's a memory like that memory is more meaningful than if i had shot the deer because it would just be a, it'd be a damn fine deer but it would just be another deer on my wall yeah but now i got a story and it's a better story and it's a better memory because mm-hmm. it was a friend of mine and it wasn't me mm-hmm. you know and if you're willing to give up stuff that's when i think you can really make it make a difference mm-hmm. and it's not just hunting it's other facets of life and stuff too like, absolutely how to do a podcast or the, the, what I do for a living is you know, work with companies consulting on how to do social media and how to do it correctly, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and being able to make a difference and have an impact on someone, because there's nothing in this world that will ever take that memory away from Austin. No matter what happens, all those people that went, they'll never forget their first year. None of them. Cause it, no, and, and, and none of those memories are like just kind of flash in the pan stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like, we were driving a road and there was a deer on the side of the road and they hung a rifle out and shot it. Like, that's not a memory. Mm-hmm. Um, this, they actually hunted and did everything the right way and learned how to do it. And, and now they have skills that they can take back home, you know? So meaningful. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, how can people, um, show their support for the program or companies get involved with the program? So our Instagram account, uh, is the Hunter Recruitment Project. Mm-hmm. Um, look it up on Instagram, send us a DM. Um, 
we're taking sponsors now because we've paid for everything out of pocket and it like it's not cheap like when when you have um 14 or 15 people and like lodging and we rent cabins and stuff on other properties and food and drink and all that stuff like the price the, the cash register doesn't stop ringing so you know it's a 501c3 it's a nonprofit, and um you know we're not trying to make a dime off of it we just the goal was just to not come out of pocket. So, and in, in doing so, um, I tell brands all the time, like, when you go hunting or you go do something, like, for example, you're with an outfitter or something, or you're with someone, like, let's say you took a noob hunting. Anything you do, whatever you wear, whatever you say, whatever happens, is going to stick in their brain. Because you're the subject matter expert. Well, Brian Barney wears this stuff. I'm going to wear it. He does shoots this bone. He shoots this broadhead and all that stuff. And anytime a brand can attach their brand recognition to a positive memory, it doesn't go away. I eat Snickers bars because the women's uh, soccer team won the Olympic gold medal in Athens, Georgia, I think 1996 or 1998. And Snickers was a huge sponsor. And I, I, I swear to God, that was before some of the people listening were probably born, maybe. Um and it's just, so if you look at like, let's say like a national tragedy occurs, like let's say there's a mass shooting or something, your major brands like Nike and stuff, they go dark. They don't post anything on social media. They don't run, they pull all their digital ads on, everything comes down because they don't want to, someone be scrolling through something and some person's calling for a gun ban because there was a school shooting or a mass shooting or whatever. So they see a pair of Nike shoes and the next post is someone saying, Guns should be outlawed, da 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 da. They don't want the association with that. Brand affiliation. What yeah. you yeah, what you want though is affiliation with positivity. So you'll see ad spend increase drastically. Say, for example, like uh sports stuff during times like the AFC and NFC championship recently. Ads are running because it's a positive experience. And they, they cater those ads to the positive experience. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and if you think of it, it's all common sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It makes so, sense. Yeah. So that's that any brand or company that wants to get involved in any capacity, reach out to us on Instagram, shoot us a DM. We check those, read them every day. Um, Everly Stock is the sponsor, Killcliffe, Black Rifle Coffee, Mountain Primal, Mossberg, uh, do work. Leupold supports us. Uh, Yeti provides self-sided coolers and stuff like that. Um, those are the brands we're working with. Uh, Eastman's. And that's one of the things we want to actually do a lot more of is, so Mike Hearn, who's an E8, uh, active duty U.S. Army soldier, he just moved to Colorado. And he did a course uh, on the last uh, event teaching how to find, get access to public land. And then he, he, I put him on the phone with Reekers, and they did the whole rundown on the Tag Hub. And so now he's showing people, like Fiona lives in Utah. Fiona now is armed with the information and the tools to apply for tags and stuff and like where is public land what's private land and all this stuff like how do i hunt well here's how you hunt so i can't i can get you to the starting line i can you know it's like track or something training all the right equipment and all that stuff we can teach you all that then you just gotta want it yep and 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 that and i think the best part will be like follow-up success um when they can go out and do it on their own or they have a friend that's never been hunting. It's like, oh, my God, tell me all you did. Like, hey, I don't know shit, but I know, like, entry-level stuff, and I think we can be successful. Let's go out and, like, 
we'll share a rifle or whatever. We'll just go out with glass and we'll look and stuff and we'll you know see if we can make something happen. And that's how you know memories are made, and that's what it's all about. That and is. like if you and if you and you look at like hunting, like hunting is on the decline. You know, hunter retention is really shitty. Um, license sales are down across the you know everywhere. Um, and right now, like for example, like they're trying to outlaw. There's a bill put forth to outlaw bear hunting in California. Um, so the more hunting licenses we can sell, and it's just more resources. I think all in, eighteen Georgia hunting licenses, new ones were purchased this year from our two events. The next year will be a lot more. So the goal, I think, what did we say? We want to do fifty. We want to take fifty people hunting, fifty or sixty in twenty twenty one that have never been. And then we'll expand it. I think we're going to do like a fly fishing trip in uh in North Georgia. So like Paul Bork, whom um, I think Paul was on the you fishing. connected me with him. Yeah, that guy was amazing. Yeah, it was a great podcast. Like so there's, knowledgeable. There's subject matter experts, and then there's Paul. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly on fishing. Yeah. And it so so Paul was head coach of the U.S. national fishing team, which I didn't even know we had one of those, and they'd never won a medal. And then he took over as head coach, and they won gold and world six years in a row. And he's one of like I may get this wrong, so don't crucify me. He's like one of nine or one of ten master cast instructors in the u.s or something like that like it's and like it's weird and he he owns drift media and he he does a bunch of stuff with black rifle as well he's he's kind of heading up our fishing uh um vertical when he first met evan at shot show a few years ago we were sitting there and he was like hey man like where do you guys source your coffee and evan starts rattling off the countries we get our coffee in he's like oh that's cool so you would fish this river Here's what you'll catch, and this is the bait you'll use. And we're talking like Africa and Central America and like strange places. And he's like rattling off like he was there yesterday. <laughs> he knows it by heart. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. He knows the crazy. he knows the bait to use, what lures to use, the season, the timing. Like it, it's just it's so insane. So we're gonna take people. Um, we're gonna do one fly fishing trip in North Georgia with him and take some people fly fishing and stuff. It's just like, and we were we floated the middle fork of the salmon. Not this past time, the summer before. And he came and he was filming the whole trip for everybody. It was a black rifle trip because Evan owns Idaho River Adventures, which is when he was working for the CIA, he bought into that company. Um, and that's how he'd spend his downtime. He was on the middle floor working as a guide. So he'd go, you know, and do the gnarly stuff that we don't know about. And then he'd come back and work his ass off as a river guide. Not for money, just because it says it purified his soul. It, it's, it, it gave him a, a reset. Um, and I knew Paul was a badass when I was like, hey, man, what do I do? And he, like, while talking to me, is tying flies and shit on my line for me and, like, not looking at, at it. Just, like, just, like, blah, blah, blah. and I looked at Logan and I was like, what's going on? It's crazy. You know, because, like, I tie lures and stuff on, you know, uh, I do mostly inshore saltwater fishing. And, like, I'm sitting, you know, trying to, you know, tie my knots and all this stuff. And it's just, it was wild. And it was funny. Evan and Logan fished the entire float one day. And we stopped for like a late lunch. And Paul was just filming the whole time. You know, and I think Logan caught one fish and Evan caught like two. And you can just watch Paul. And he's like, Hey, do you mind if I throw a few flies? And I was like, Yeah, sure, go for it. Four for six. <laughs> and like nice size cutting. He's on a different level. It's a right? different level, yeah. man. And like um he just 
like it's just it's it's a phenomenal resource you know mm-hmm. like he just it's unbelievable and and the thing one of the things that paul does is like so he's he's won like fly fishing film of the year a bunch with yako lucas mm-hmm. on the fly fishing film tour um and to watch him film top water hits is like nothing you've ever seen because he knows when your cast isn't going to work because he's not looking at you but you can tell he just he knows when it's going to go down and like he's he's arguably one of the best in the world and that. he says i will not miss it I will yeah. get it. If that fish eats it in the next three days, I will get him yeah, on top it's water. Like, He's so like, good at what it's he like, does. It's like, hey, man, are you, are you good? He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm, this is, I, I promise. <laughs> and you can tell when, like, you're doing something right because, like, the camera will kind of swing. He'll start paying attention. But, like, dude, it's just, it's like when I was fishing, uh, it's like insulting and flattery at the same time. It's like we were fishing uh, Saturday and Sunday. We were over at our place in Steenhatchee and um, fishing for speckled trout and redfish. And we stopped at this one spot. We're like, all right, this is, this is going to be a good spot. And like, next thing we know, the dolphin are there. It's like, okay, so we're not going to catch anything because the dolphin are here and they're eating and scaring all the fish off. But at least we came to the right spot. And so then we moved to another spot and got there the same time the dolphins did. It's like, son of a bitch, man. Like, they ruined our fishing, but they were telling us, that, hey, you guys, this was the right spot. We're just better than you are. So, but that's kind of, you know, it's great. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. It's going to be a great year. Um, I'm going on leave. We have a, a content we call like a smash and grab. We're going to Stefan Brothers Outdoors in South Dakota, February 15th through the 19th to do some ice fishing and pheasant hunting. And I've never been pheasant hunting. And so my first time pheasant hunting will be in South Dakota, which is, or I guess, the world capital. So I'm totally fired up. Wait, cool. It's action. Yeah, you'll have fun. Yeah. Yeah, good on you, man. You put together such a great team for this project too mm-hmm. you guys have put everything into it yeah uh the right mentors and then also finding the right hunters and then being able to grow it and getting the right companies involved too yeah. um so man it's just a wonderful thing you're putting on there yeah. the hunter recruitment program and um man i'm a huge supporter uh and it's awesome to get you on the podcast yeah. and be able to have a conversation too absolutely uh you've done so much for the podcast so thanks so much for yeah. introducing me to all these guys and mm-hmm. and helping me get these guests you know both on the hunting and the fishing side like i say paul bort uh you know i know my way around a fly rod too and 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 have some skill but you start talking to somebody like that and you realize there are levels to this game yeah. you know and, and and all i need to do is just shut up and listen because yeah. i'm gonna learn something here you know because yeah, i'll get these texts from him out of the blue like he sent me a text like, i think it was yesterday day before it's like um um frank Cresatelli, who fishes out of like uh chelsea pier mm-hmm. up in new york there's a he's like yeah there's a, a striped bass tournament june 6th um We'll, we want you to come participate. And I was like, absolutely. It's like, so we'll be catching stripers at the base of the Statue of Liberty. It's like, you can't, like, that's just amazing. You know, it's like. Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. and then he's like, we're going to run off to the canyon to catch, you know, tuna one day. And I was like, eh, I don't know about 90 mile run to catch six tuna. That's, that, that's a, he's like, yeah, but it's a contender. I was like, all right, fine. I'm in. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about this, this, um, and, uh, 2021. And like every year, like I'm like, I try, I, I get better at planning what I'm doing. You know, like I get better at planning my hunts instead of doing things, you know, last minute. And, um, so yeah, it's going to be a good year. Yeah. Good for you. Well, right on. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me. Okay. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Fun conversation with Baker. That guy's one of a kind. 
it just cracks me up. But uh, make sure to check out that hunter recruitment program. Uh, what a great program for new hunters and uh, getting them the skill set necessary and confidence necessary to go out on their own. I just think it's such a great program and definitely want to show it my support. And um, thanks to Baker taking time to be on the podcast. Uh, helping with guests and everything he does for Eastman's and these other outdoor companies. Baker does a lot of things behind the scenes, uh, but he's always positively promoting hunting and shooting and outdoor lifestyle. And uh, he, he's just a great guy, and I'm glad I know him. So um, thanks to him for being on the podcast. I also want to thank Swagger Bipods for their continued support of the podcast. Uh, they just make such a, a great bipod that can mount to your rifle. They also have the quick detach I was telling you guys about, uh, so you can keep those in your pack and connect on. Uh, they also have a, a bench-made tripod that's a little bit smaller one, uh, shooting sticks, you name it, all spring tension loaded so you can track your target. Just great products, and uh, we're really happy to have them as a sponsor on the podcast. I also want to thank Mountain Archery Fest. Uh, remember, I got that Poma... Promo code uh, ELEVATE21, and it'll get you 20% out at checkout, but just a great way to sharpen your shooting skills before bow season. Uh, they have the four events this year, Durango, Colorado, Beaver, Utah, Mullen, Idaho, and Huntsville, Utah. So I'll be showing up at that Huntsville, Utah one. Um, come out and let's rip some arrows. And with that wrap this thing up hoping to maybe be able to bear hunt tonight we'll see i've got a pile of work to get done here um so uh work my way through this this pile and see if i can get out for a good afternoon evening but i do have my buddy dan's gonna be showing up maybe wednesday thursday and got some buddies that are showing up next week on tuesday i believe um so i've got a few days in my future that should be pretty good so we'll start getting after these things and um hopefully uh, uh be able to capture some of it whether that's through ig or through story or something of that nature but um yeah go have some fun go have some laughs with some buddies and uh hopefully find some bears and get on some good ones so uh, it's always fun when hunting season is here and man um all my skills are sharp you know, as far as shooting and, and stalking. And so, uh, big bear better not make a mistake. Uh, um, so yeah, it should be fun. Definitely want to help my buddies try to be successful as well. So, um, man, that, that's where I'm at waiting for these tag draws to come out. I could say, you know, I'm fortunate in Montana that I get some general season tags, so I know I'll be bow hunting, but uh, the draw odds are getting tougher and tougher. A guy has to, to work harder and harder to try to, uh, come up with these 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 tags year in year out or these adventures year in and year out but there's still a, a lot of opportunity for adventure out there and um, man hopefully they pull my lucky name out of the hat or pull one of your guys's lucky name out of the hat so um, keep working hard towards your goals uh, hunting season will be here before we know it at least that fall season and, um, man, it feels so good when you're well prepared for season, walking around with confidence with your weapon, confidence in your skills and in your fitness level. Um, so make those positive moves to, to put yourself into a position to be successful this season. So, uh, really appreciate the support you guys, uh, take care and I'll catch up with you next week.